0: Good morning, church family. It's good to see you this morning. We know we have some visitors with us, and we're so thankful that you're here. Uh, If you're visiting from uh, out of town or if you're uh, here in town and visiting with us, we're just thankful uh, that we can come together, members and visitors alike, to come and worship God. It's been a wonderful uh, worship service so far, and we pray that uh, it will continue to be pleasing and praising to God. Uh, If you have your your Bibles, you want to go ahead and turn to Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 23 will be there in just a few minutes. If you want to use your uh, pew Bible, it will be on Page 650 uh, here in just a few minute, minutes. Jeremiah chapter. 23. Do want to remind everyone of some upcoming events that we have and want to make sure that you uh, know about them so that you can participate them and be an active part of the congregation here Uh, tomorrow night at six o'clock. Men, we have our uh, monthly wings and wisdom where we will get together and uh, enjoy some some wings together. Uh, And then Rob Porter has our devotional from the book of Proverbs tomorrow evening. So hope that you'll come and be a part of that. Hope Rob remember that because I'm not ready to speak. Uh, So hopefully Rob will be ready for that. I'm sure that he will be Uh, coming up the last Saturday of this month. We have a trunk or treat which is certainly a good event for uh, for our members to be a part of, but it's also a, an outreach event uh, to make sure that you invite your, your friends and your family, uh, those folks that would come and enjoy some uh, some Trunker Treating. That'll be at six o'clock. Also on that Saturday, we'll have a devotional uh, right before uh, we actually do the Trunker Treating. So we'll have some opportunity to uh, talk to you and share the good news about Jesus as well. So please uh, make sure that you come and are a part of that on the 28th. And then the last Sunday of this month, the 29th, the next day, we have our mission. Sunday. If you've never been a part of Mission Sunday here at Jefferson Avenue, it's a special day. Uh, It's a day where we get to come together and on Bible class uh, and in worship, we come together and we hear from our mission efforts all around the world, certainly those here in the United States, but also uh, folks in Africa and and Eastern Europe and and really all over the world. And we have some folks that will be here in person. We watch a lot of videos uh, up on the screen of people that weren't able to be here in person. But I hope that you'll uh, make sure that you take the time to be a part of that great day on the 29th. Of October, uh, Sam Brown is organizing that along with the rest of the mission team. So, if you have questions about it, uh, you can ask him. Uh, just of note, though, to make sure that you're aware of it, uh, it's Mission Sunday. But not only is it informative, but it's also an opportunity that we have to uh, to support these missions financially. Uh, so, what we do on that day is anything above and beyond what our uh, weekly uh, budget is uh, goes directly to missions. And uh, the congregation here is always very generous, and we generous, and we appreciate that, and we're excited about the. Another opportunity for us to be here together on this. Uh, Courtney, I forgot the clicker, so you're going to have to click for me. Uh, we um, are continuing our series this morning on uh, the name of God. We've been looking at uh, different names of God in the Old Testament, uh, specifically in the Old Testament. We'll get to some in the New Testament as we as we go on, but we're trying to really understand who is this God that we serve? Who is this God that we, we claim as, as our Lord, as our Savior, as, as all the things that we know about and think about God? Who is this God? And we're, we're doing this specifically through uh, the names of God. What do the names of God tell us about who this God is? It's really in some ways a, a character study of God. Who is God? Who is, who is he as a person? And then who is, what, does, what, do, what do his names reveal about his character not like a character in a book but about who he is who, who what he is in his in his essence and this morning we're going to talk about the name Yahweh Sidkenu and yes I probably completely butchered that uh, it's Hebrew I don't speak or study Hebrew uh, but that's the way that I understand that it is pronounced Yahweh Sidkenu here's what I know that it means though and that's the important thing the Lord is our righteousness the Lord is our righteousness. What we want to do this morning is look at three passages hope that you'll take the time to turn with me to them in jeremiah chapter 23 we're introduced to this name yahweh sidkenu the lord is our righteousness so we want to look at the old testament and it's really it's a prophecy about what jesus is going to fulfill and then we're going to look in romans chapter 3 where paul from a very theological standpoint explains what does it mean that the lord is our righteousness and then we'll look at the fact that jesus came to the same conclusion that apart from him we can do and we are nothing in John chapter 15 that was read to us earlier so we want to talk about this this morning and really wrap our minds around what does the name Yahweh Sidkenu the Lord is our righteousness what does that mean and what does that mean even for me some 2,000 years after Jesus has left the earth so turn to Jeremiah chapter 23 we'll read verses 1 through 6 Jeremiah chapter 23 verses 1 through 6 let me set the stage for you. Jeremiah is a prophet in the Old Testament and specifically he's a prophet to the kingdom of Judah. Uh, it, this is important for us to remember. So I'm gonna take the time to, to walk us through this. You remember God's people, the Israelites, they, they really became the Israelites after the exodus, after Moses brings them up out of, out of Egypt, they really become a, a group of people. They, they were a family before, but now they've, they've grown to a great number of people, and they really become more of a, a nation, and they, they, they've got this promised land that God promised to Abraham many years before, and, and eventually they, they make their way into it, and they, make, they come to the promised land, and, and eventually they, they want a king, and there's, there's issues there, but God allows them to have a king. And you remember king Saul the first king of the nation of Israel and after him you you definitely remember king David the giant slayer right we know him and then after king David we have his son king Solomon uh, who is the king the wisest and probably richest man to have ever lived on the face of the earth Uh, but after him things really start to go badly even really during his reign and and, and, in his life things start to go badly and because of that the kingdom is split It's split into the northern kingdom of of Israel, which is the 10 northern tribes of the 12 tribes of the sons of Jacob. And the two southern tribes become the, the kingdom of Judah. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah is a prophet to the kingdom of Judah. The Israelites, the, the northern tribe, the northern ten tribes have already been taken away into captivity. Uh, the great powerful uh, nation of Assyria has come and has uh taken all the best, all the strongest, all the brightest, all the all the all the things that all the people that people would look to and say, Man, those are impressive people. They've taken them into slavery uh into Assyria. And then after this, before We're really right in the middle between Assyria and Babylon. But very soon, and what Jeremiah's original message is, is, hey, you have turned away from God, Judah. The Israelites are already gone. The the northern kingdom have already turned away and they're already being punished. But now Judah, the one that remained more faithful for a longer time, but they are about to suffer the consequences for their unfaithfulness to God, And that's the message that Jeremiah has. And in Jeremiah chapter 23, we see this. We see the reasons behind some of this, this coming judgment that's coming upon them. But for most importantly for us today, at the very end in verse 6, we see this idea of Yahweh sitkanu. The Lord is our righteousness. So let's read it. Jeremiah 23, 1 through 6. God says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares Yahweh. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who are shepherding my people, you have scattered my flock and banished them and have not attended to him to, to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. So God starts out with talking about the leadership the leadership of his people uh, specifically in judah and he says listen you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing you're supposed to be shepherding my people you're supposed to be caring for my people and we've talked a lot about the importance of the the role of shepherd you can think about that literally as a a shepherd and the sheep you can think about that figuratively like our our elders and the congregation here you can think about that in all the spiritual ways but the point is the leadership, the care, the concern, the, the guidance that these leaders of Judah were supposed to be offering to the, uh, the, the kingdom of Judah and the people therein, in, it wasn't happening. And God says, you have not attended to your role, but then I love it when he says, and it's, it's very scary if you're these people, he says, but I'm about to attend to you. You haven't been doing your job and I'm about to take care of that. I'm about to make sure that you realize that you have made some serious mistakes. Uh, verse number four, I will also raise up shepherds over them and they will shepherd them and they will no longer be afraid nor terrified, nor will they be left unattended, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for, from David a righteous branch. This is important. This is the prophecy about Jesus that's coming down the line. And he will reign as king and prosper and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called Yahweh Sidkenu or the Lord our righteousness now this may not seem like a big deal to you this may not seem like a, a significant uh, shift in in religious culture but it is uh, the Israelites remember they had the law they had not only the Ten Commandments, but, but hundreds of other laws. And they had put so much faith and so much um, trust in their ability uh, to do the law, to, to check off all of the boxes, that they were a very action-based salvation thinkers. We need to do these things. And, and, and their leaders had become that way. And really because of that, probably because of that, because of the constant pressure and, and strain that that put on the Israelites themselves, that's probably why at this time in, in Judah's history, they, they still worshipped God. They still worshipped Yahweh. They still worshipped the God of the Bible, the God that you and I serve today. But they also worshipped all kinds of others' gods. So this was a time of, of compromise. This was a time of corruption among the, the Israelites. And, and they had turned away uh, from God, probably at least in some form or fashion because of the pressure of constantly trying to make sure they do every everything right and when God says listen I'm raising up a branch I'm raising up a seed there's going to be someone who comes from the line of David and and his name is going to be the Lord is your righteousness you see their mind says God is righteous and I have to do all of these things in order for me to be righteous and now God says no it's it's not that way this is as a matter of fact has proven that it can't be that way You see, I chose this very specific group of people. I chose this very specific family and it grew into this very specific nation and they were holy and they were set apart and and they were my people and they knew everything. They knew all the things about me that no one else knew about me. And you know what the end result was? Assyria takes Israel into captivity because of their wickedness. And Babylon is coming to take Judah into captivity because of their wickedness. But he says, but I've got some hope for you because down the line, Someone's going to come from the line of David and he will be your righteousness. You see, the whole Old Testament, the reason we need to study the Old Testament is that it proves to us that like those that lived thousands of years ago, we are incapable. You and I are incapable of being righteous because of our deeds. We can't do it. The Israelites prove it. The Israelites knew God better than you and I know God the God of the Old Testament, the God the Father. They had, they had personal face-to-face interactions with God. They saw miraculous things like crossing the Red Sea and, and, and the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and, and all of the things that we read about in the Old Testament. They, they experienced those things, real life, in person. And they still could not live righteously by their own actions. So when Jeremiah, when, when God through Jeremiah tells the people, listen, something's coming that's gonna fix all of this because you can't fix it. And his name will be, the Lord is our righteousness. That's a big shift. That's a big shift for the, the Jews of the Old Testament. And it's, it's one of those things that in reality, the book of Hebrews talks about this. It says those, those writers of old, like Jeremiah, they're, they're, they're wondering about these things. When is this gonna happen? Is this gonna happen in, in my day? And it says in Hebrews that the angels long to look into those things. They want to know when is this going to happen? And you and I live on the other side of that history where Jesus has come and he now is our righteousness and we can be thankful for that. Turn to Romans chapter three. Romans chapter three, let's look at uh, what Paul says about this again in a, in a theological sense and in, in a very kind of over, overarching theme of, of this is some, some theological things, but, but understandable enough for us. Romans chapter three, we'll read verses 10 through 28. That's on page 940 in the Pew Bible. Romans chapter three, starting in verse 10. And, and listen, some of this is uncomfortable. Romans is good at making us uncomfortable. But what it says here is true about you. And it's true about me. Romans chapter three, starting in verse 10. There is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their path. And the path of the peace They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law, the Old Testament specifically says, it speaks to those who are in the law so that every mouth may be shut and all the world may be held accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, by the works of the Old Testament, what the Jews were depending on, if I can just do all of these things, by the works of the law, it says, no flesh, no person will be justified in his, God's sight. For through the law, comes the knowledge of sin that's what we were just talking about the fact that when we read the old testament and we see all of those people and we wonder how in the world could they have seen this how in the world could they have heard this how in the world could they have experienced this and not followed god well the answer is the answer is if you would have been there long term you wouldn't have followed god either maybe in the moment maybe on that spiritual high You would have been passionate and you would have been zealous and you would have been all in, but you wouldn't have been perfect. And that's what you've got to be if you want to be acceptable to God. Verse number 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believed, there is no distinction why for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by his grace God's grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom Jesus God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith for the demonstration of his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time so that he God would be just he would hold accountable sin and he would be the justifier he would Make people just of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. Where then is boasting? Here it is. Here's the point that Paul's trying to make. Where then is boasting? Where is my confidence? Where is my confidence if I stand before God on judgment day? Where then is boasting? It is excluded. It does not exist. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain... He says, for we want you to understand this as foundation. We maintain that a man, that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Again, if we try to put our, our faith in our ability to be good, we'll fail. Parents, how many times do you, do you ask your kids and you, and you think it's such a simple thing? Hey, be good. We think that sounds so simple, but you know what God says to us? Hey, be good. And how often are we not that? Be good. Brothers and sisters, we lack the ability to be the kind of good that God is. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But we lack the ability to be the type of good, the completeness of good that God is and again in Romans chapter 3 it's very it's very theological there's a lot of church words that we don't normally use there but but the point is without God we are unrighteous but through faith in Jesus Christ he makes us righteous Jesus comes to this same conclusion turn over to John chapter 15 John chapter 15 let's read uh, a few verses there John chapter 15 starts on page 901 uh, in your pew bibles John 15 1 through 10 Again, this is uh, where Jesus is specifically talking to his disciples in the upper room, but, and and some of the things in in chapters 14 through 16 may only apply to the apostles, but I think here in verses, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, I think the application also applies to us as well as we're reading here. But notice what uh, Jesus said. We'll read verses 1 through 11. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. Well, let's, let's go back to Jeremiah 23. Remember what, what is, what does God say prophetically that he's going to raise up a branch? of david okay now the application or the the analogy here is a little different he doesn't say he's the uh he doesn't say that that we're the branches he says that he's the branch or he's the vine and we are the branches okay so it's slightly different but the the connection here is similar. He's going to raise up a branch, a, an offshoot of David, and that is going to be the Lord is our righteousness. And then in chapter 15 of John, Jesus is going to talk about the importance of being connected to the vine as we are the branches. This connection, uh, the connection from David to Jesus, and now our connection to Jesus. And notice, notice what he says going on in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So they're talking to Christians, certainly talking to the apostles. Verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Here, more than likely uh, in the first century, the people who would most be familiar with um, a, a grape grape plant uh grapevine uh the branches off of the grapevine and this this connection here and we we recognize the the agricultural truth behind this right uh that if if the if on a grapevine you cut off one of the branches well that's you know it's going to be good for a little while and you'll put it in your refrigerator and you'll eat, eat the grapes while they last but eventually what happens to those grapes they shrivel up and the branch shrivels up and and, and once you cut it off of the the vine is it going to produce any more No, it's not going to produce anymore. So the the importance of our connection with Jesus, our abiding with Jesus, our righteousness through Jesus. If we cut ourselves off from the vine, we are no longer righteous. We're just going to shrivel up and die. Verse number five. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up and and they're gathered together and they cast them into the fire and they're burned up. If you abide in me and in my words, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me and I have also loved you, abide in my love. How do we do that, Jesus? Verse number 10, if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love so it's not that you know that, that that our actions aren't important it's not that that our connection with jesus that we have no responsibility at all we do have a responsibility and the reality is that as the same the same way that is, as a branch is connected to the vine of a grape plant that branch will produce it will produce And if I am connected to Jesus, if I abide in Jesus and I abide in his word and I abide in his love, then I will produce. There is no question. There is no doubt. So we look at our lives and the question would be, am I producing? And if I'm not producing, well, where's the problem? It's not in the power supply. It's not in the The vine, Jesus is there and he wants to supply us with what we need in order for us to produce. If we're not producing, have we separated ourselves from the vine? There is the importance of Jesus gives us everything we need and we live our life as a reaction to that. And we do the things that he wants us to do. But those things that we do don't make us connected to him. It's because of him that we do good things. Our good things don't make us connected to him. There's the difference, the mentality, the same mentality that they had to change in Jeremiah 23. The Lord is our righteousness versus I've got to be good so that God will accept me. Those are different mindsets. Let's keep going in verse number 11. These things I have spoken to you so that, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. This morning, as we think about Yahweh said, canoe, We recognize, first of all, this this great shift that happened for the Jews in Jeremiah 23 where they had to go from this mentality of I I get to do these things and if I'm good enough, then God will accept me. To recognize I'm not good enough. God will accept me because of his son, Jesus. Because of this branch that's gonna come about and and we know is Jesus and and we could call him the Lord is my righteousness. And what do we call him by that name? We understand that that my righteousness, when I stand before God one day, it will have nothing to do with me whether or not I go to heaven or hell. Well, it would have something to do with me if I go to hell. But it'll have nothing to do with me if I go to heaven. It'll be because I have put my hope and trust and faith in Jesus. And in so doing, I've lived a different life than I would have before. You see, there are some objections to this idea of Yahweh. Sidcanu. What would be some objections to this idea of the Lord is my righteousness? Let me talk about two with you real quick and then we'll we'll wrap up very quickly. First of all, this objection of the Lord is my righteousness. Well that means I can't do anything to save myself. I can't do anything to save myself. And that. To some of us, that sounds like a, a foreign idea. Certainly, I, I have—I I can do something to save myself. Certainly, we, we want to be people who, who, who are active and, and, and do something. And, and, and we really, I think all of us in some ways, we really want to. And there is this struggle with we want to be worthy of Jesus' death. And scripture even tells us that, right? To live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. But that's, that's an after you have become a Christian through faith in Christ Jesus. That's not a, let me live worthy so that I can be a part of the family of God. You cannot be worthy apart from Jesus. You see, the reality is that all of your actions and their sum total only will lead to sin and death. Brothers and sisters, you cannot do anything to save yourself. Then other objections might be in Romans chapter three when when Paul says, uh, quoting from the Psalms, none is righteous, Not even one. You might say, I might say, we may not say these words, but we would certainly be tempted to think, but Andy, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And certainly we know lots of people out in the world that think of themselves as good people. And I want you to understand that by the world standard, I think all of you are good people, okay? I don't think you're wicked and evil. By the world standard, the way the world thinks, sure, you're a good person. But but the problem is, biblically, we have a different definition of what good is. You know what that definition is? In Mark chapter 10, in verse 18, uh, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he, he addresses him, good teacher. And what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. There's none righteous. There's none righteous in this auditorium. Not even one not by yourself, not apart from Jesus. You say, but I'm a good person. Jesus says, Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. You see, there there are good things about you, but in your sum total, you have fallen short of the glory of God. And we're not good like God is good. By the world standard, You know, the world where most of the people don't follow Jesus, the world where murder exists, the world where rape exists, the world where genocide exists, the world where all of the wickedness and evil of the fall of man exists, sure, according to that world standard, you're a good person because you don't do those things. But according to Jesus, no one is good. Not even one. There's good things about you. There's good things about me. I'll say it this way. There's good things about me, but I am not a good person. Not apart from God. You say, well, Andy, that's, that's kind of depressing. Yeah, I could, see, I could see how you would take it that way. That, that's, not a, that's not an uplifting thought that you're not a good person, that I'm not a good person. We can choose to see it either as depressing and we can, we can be upset about it or we can choose to see it as Amazing. Amazing, amazed by the fact that in spite of my brokenness, in spite of my sin, in spite of my wickedness, in spite of all my failures and cracks and and all the stuff that's bad about me, many of which you don't have a clue about about me, and I don't have a clue about about your stuff. But in spite of all of that, God loved you enough to send his son to die for you, to purchase you, because he placed a value on you that you do not deserve. Jesus. Paid the price. Through his perfect life, the blood that was shed, his horrific death, and his miraculous resurrection. And through faith in Jesus Christ, which certainly leads you to obedience, you can put Christ on, be a new creation, a new creature, and in the eyes of God, you can be righteous. Not because of anything That you have done, but because of everything that God has done. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, it tells us there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus the Christ. He is the Christ, He is the Messiah, He wants to be your Lord and Savior. He's the one who, because of His perfection, attributes that to his followers and not even those who follow him perfectly because we've already talked about you can't follow him perfectly. My hope of salvation is not that I become a Christian and then I live a perfect life. My hope of salvation to be with God eternally Is the fact that I place my hope and my trust and everything that I am religiously in Jesus Christ and everything that he has done in spite of everything that I have done. The Lord is your righteousness. I would would challenge you to say verbally or silently in your mind this morning, if you are a Christian, to to get this through your head. The Lord is my righteousness righteousness he's the only reason that i can have a relationship with god jesus says that he is the way the truth and the life and that no one comes to the father except through him this morning are you a christian Uh, Scripture teaches us that those who believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrected son of God and will claim him as the Lord of their life saying, Jesus, I'm going to do my best because of all that you've done for me. I'm going to do my best to follow you and do what you would have me to do. And then we see over and over and over again in Scripture this picture of baptism where people, uh, they, they reenact the gospel by dying to themselves. It's not about me anymore, they say. They're buried in the water your grave of baptism, just like Jesus was buried in the tomb. And they resurrect a new person, just like, just like Jesus, after he had been dead for those three days in the tomb, resurrected and get won us the victory, not only over physical death, but also over spiritual death. This morning, if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, if you'll name him as your Lord, if you'll repent of your sins and turn to him and be baptized into Christ, then you can become a Christian just like people have been doing for 2,000 years. And when you become a Christian, there's so much more to learn and to grow, lives to change, and, and, and new people to become. But the point is, in Jesus, baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, he is your righteousness. Brothers and sisters, Are you living like God is your righteousness, living your life as a response to God's grace and trusting in him completely? Or have you fallen back on, well, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, if I check off all these boxes, then I can, then I can have a relationship with God. You know, people tried that for thousands of years and it never saved them. This morning, where are you at in your relationship with God? I want you to know you've got a family of imperfect people here who are trying to follow a perfect God. If you want to let us know about your struggles, we may not tell you specifically about our struggles, but we've all got them. If you need help this morning, we want to help you. We want to pray for you. We want to be here for you in whatever way we can. If you're not a Christian this morning and you want to become a Christian, there's nothing better that you could do in this moment than become a Christian. If you need any help, we want to invite you to come as we stand and sing.